0: Sunday morning, and if you're returning to church for the first time in a long time, we want to say we're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. You came at just the right time if you're here and you're visiting because we're talking about money, exactly what you love to hear pastors and preachers talk about, but it gets better because I'm a student minister. So you came on Sunday morning to hear a student minister talk about money. You know, I am not an expert in money, and we're in a series here called How to Be Rich. And it's not about how you can get rich, but it's how to function as a rich person. And I'm grateful to be able to present to you today because I am not an expert. And many of you in here might be financial experts. Some of you guys in here might be amazing money managers, but I am not an expert, and I'm not the best money manager in the room here today. In fact, I want to tell you that I think when it comes to money, I have a lot of anxiety. I feel like this is a stressful and shameful topic for me to talk about. This is a difficult subject for me to approach. You know, and for me personally, when I have money, I feel secure. When, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when it's going good, and I'm not going paycheck to paycheck, but I feel like I'm ahead in life, the anxiety goes away, and I really tend to put my trust in money in a major way and like I said when I don't have it I feel anxious I stay up at night those things happen to me and so you may not be exactly like me or you may not experience what I've experienced but what I would say is for all of us in here today I think most of us don't like talking about money I mean I don't know how much money you make you don't probably know how much money I make we don't talk about how much money we give and, and money is just just this kind of taboo thing that we don't talk about very often. So uh, for any of you who are guests here today, we're just glad you you did come at just the right time. And I'm going to review what we've talked about last week. If you want to know more or you want to hear this lesson again, uh, probably not this lesson because, you know, you'll hear it today. But maybe you have some friends that need to hear it. Um, or last week, you want to catch up with where we're at, you can go to lighthousecoc.com. And uh, we're also live streaming on the web, so I want to give a shout out to anyone who's listening online. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, what we talked about last night is the difference between feeling rich versus being rich. That oftentimes we don't feel rich. And my personal belief is that we are rich in here today no matter what, what shoes we're sitting in. And let me tell you a little bit more about myself because there was a time, let me show you a picture of me. This is a great picture. This is a, about a, a year and a half or two years after I graduated from college, and during this time, I, what I had done since college is all I did was lead junior high ministry when I graduated from college, and I did construction jobs, and I was lifeguarding. I played a lot of sports, so I played post-college, kind of played some, uh, some leagues and water polo. So I spent like 14 hours a day at the beach, and I would go and play water polo, but I had graduated college with no student debt, and I graduated with a 1986 Jetta. So I was driving my little 1986 car, 20 year old car at the time. And I was super happy because I made $900 a month from the church leading junior high ministry. Okay, so I didn't make much money. I made, you know, what I had to make from construction and lifeguarding. But I was super happy. I had the best time just goofing off with junior high kids. And when I wanted to go and do something, I went and did it. At this time, that picture was actually taken in Hawaii. I went out to Hawaii for a surf trip. I ended up moving out there. And I just stayed out there for, for six months, a couple years post-college. And that was where I actually met, um, fell in love with my wife. My wife today, Viviana, we've been married for eight years. And it was during that time that we fell in love. So I was at a very carefree time during this time of life. Did I make much money? No, I didn't have any money. But I felt so rich because everything I made, I had no responsibilities and very little overhead in my life. And this is the concept that we presented last week about having margin in your life. That you spend less than you make, and you have this margin, and when you do that, you feel rich. I might not have been rich, but I could have been rich because I felt rich. And I believe that many people in here are already practicing these concepts, and they feel rich in here today because of the way they're choosing to live their lives. And other people in here, you may have felt rich at one time going on a mission trip or going to serve a poor uh, area within our community. And so there was a time in my life where I actually lived in El Salvador, my wife and I, this is about five years ago, and we had our two daughters there. And at this time, I mean, I, I did have a very high stress level because we were hustling. It was like, we, between the two of us, we had like five jobs. We did everything we could to hustle to make enough money to survive at that time. There was times where I didn't have enough money to go anywhere because we just didn't have money to buy fuel. Or I didn't have enough money, we would say, hey, we need milk or we need something And we wouldn't have enough money to go to the store and buy it because we weren't living on credit cards. It was very difficult in the system there to have a credit card and pay the credit card. And the exchange of money, the way it worked best there, was just to have a cash system. So you made money, you keep it, and then you spend what you have in your hands. And that's what we did while we were there. And so there was times where we said, hey, we need this from the store. We'd go, we can't go get it. I said, hey, the surf's up today. I want to go to the beach. I can't drive to the beach. I don't have any gas. Let's go out somewhere to eat. We can't go out to eat. And that's the way that we were living our life at that time in El Salvador. Uh, God was always good to us. We were always taken care of. Even though there was times where I couldn't go anywhere or couldn't go buy something, we were very happy, and I felt extremely rich. Let me tell you why I felt, and let me give you an example of why I felt so rich. This one time, I was helping one of my friends. He was actually a, a pretty intense drug addict, and um, he was a surfer, and his mom had fallen down and broken her arm. I went and took her to the hospital with him. And then after this experience and before church that day, that was on a Sunday, I got on my knees to get ready for church and, and I was going to go to church and I was going to put my clothes on. I was in the bathroom, I remember, and I just had to get on my knees and I was weeping and weeping and praying. And I was like, the thing that moved my heart so much is I had very little. Sometimes I couldn't go where I wanted to go or go out where I wanted to go out. But when I saw this woman who had broken her arm And when I took her home to where she was going to, you know, stay on her dirt floor, little, you know, shanty home, that I thought, man, if my mom had been hurt, she has carpeting to walk on. She has chairs to sit in. And I just wept and wept because I realized how rich I was. Even in that time, not having very much, not being able to do everything I wanted to do, I felt like I had so much and I felt so rich. And maybe you've been on a mission trip like that where you leave the mission trip and you just want to give away all your clothes. You wash your clothes, you brought stuff on the mission trip, and then you left the mission trip with barely anything. And maybe you've done that. But that's the way I felt in El Salvador is that, you know, I had so much more. I had opportunities that people around me just did not have. And so last week we talked about the migration of hope, the migration of hope that This is a picture of the the earth, and, you know, it's just a a cool picture of space. And uh, I don't know if this is Photoshopped or something real, but, you know, that that made me think about the almighty God, the creator of the universe. And we take our hope and we we move it from the almighty creator to the almighty dollar. That our hope moves from during our lifetime that we will trust in God with open hands till we get stuff and we start to put our hope and our trust in riches and the things that we have and that's when our hope goes to this almighty dollar and we have closed fist and we think we feel when we have money or we have things that this provides a sense of security okay maybe a false sense of security because when we have things that make us feel comfortable it doesn't mean that we're okay and at the end of our lives i don't care how many zeros you have in the bank all this anxiety that you had about money, when you're in your hospital bed and you're on your dying deathbed, you are not gonna care what the economy is doing. Your, your hope is gonna go and shift back to the Almighty God and you're gonna stop putting your hope in wealth and riches. It's gonna go back. And so we decided last week that we were not gonna wait till our deathbeds to put our hope in God, but we're gonna do it in the middle. We're gonna do it right now. And so we said this, I will not place my trust in riches But in him who richly provides. Won't put my trust in riches. But in him who richly provides. And so before we get started, I'm going to continue to show you where this came from in the scriptures. Um, But I want to go ahead and pray for you guys and pray for us as we communicate. Thank you, God, so much for this opportunity. Uh, Father, you are holy. You are mighty. God, you've created all of this that we have. And Father, in the United States, you have blessed us abundantly. I don't care if someone's a barista here, unemployed or has seen difficult health challenges. Father, we have so much compared to the other countries in the world. And Father, we are rich here. You have let our boundaries fall in pleasant places. We give you honor and glory, Father. We do not want to place our trust in riches, but in you, God, who richly provides. Father, we pray that today that we could honor you as holy. And Father, we would open our hands towards you and that we would shift that Hope that we have that we put in our, our riches and put it on you here today, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so in First Timothy, uh, it's amazing that we're able to look into the Bible. And for those of you who are guests here today that you haven't bought fully into the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the Bible, I want to tell you right now, we are going to look at this ancient manuscript that gives us insights of how to live our lives That on my own, I would not have come to these conclusions, but it directs us and guides us. The Bible is amazing. And I hope that you can write down these scriptures or look back at the website and look at the scriptures for yourselves. Get into the Bible and see what it says. Get the full context and the depth of wisdom that exists here. In 1 Timothy 6, a man named Paul writes to a young church leader named Timothy. And this is what he tells him to tell people, who want to follow God. And so in a major way, this is written about what we need to tell Christians. So if you're not a Christian in here today, you get to look into what a church leader tells another church leader to tell their people. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's that whole false sense of security that we put our hope in wealth, and next, you know, we our money's worth nothing, or it's gone. But it says command. This is a command that he tells to do, not an option. He says this is a command. But put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so God is the provider. Why would we put our hope in things when we could put our hope in the one who provided the things? But that's what we tend to do. So he says command those who are rich in this present age That's us who are in here today. We are rich in this present age. I know some of you don't feel rich, but the opportunities we have, the place where we're at in life, we have so much. So he says, command us who are rich in this present age to put our hope instead of in these uncertain riches, in the provider, in God who richly provides. And why does God do it? For our enjoyment. Okay? Okay. Sometimes we can think as Christians, we could feel guilty for enjoying things. You, you feel guilty for buying something, going somewhere, doing something. That, that is not the God. God does not want you to feel guilted, but God has provided everything for your enjoyment. So the question is this is what we covered last week that we need to make sure that our hope migrates back to God, like right now. But the question is, how do we do that? How do you keep your hope from migrating? Into riches. He says, command people to do that. How do we do that? How are we going to keep our hearts in the right place? How are we going to keep our hearts from migrating? So he goes on and he uses the command word again. Command them. So this is a command to those of us who are in here who are rich. Command them to do good. Okay, he commands us to do good. Not just be good, because you know, as a Christian, You're supposed to be good, right? Like you've seen the Simpsons, Ned Flanders. Okay, he's a good guy, right? Oftentimes Christianity can can be surmised into being a good, nice guy, being a good person. But it's not just being a good person. But the idea is that we would be above average, that he commands those of us who have more, he commands us that we need to do good. There has to be actions. Don't just be a good guy, a nice guy. He wants us to do good things. And he says to be rich in good deeds. Being rich. That we would be abundant in our actions in the way that we do good. And so if you're a Christian in here today, if you're not a Christian in here today, and you're like, dude, I know Christians, and they don't do this, okay? You know what? This is, this is, we're not there yet, but this is where we need to go. Some of us in here that we're sitting by are the most generous people that I know in our community. So some of us in here today, we already have this on, and we're doing it. But many of us in here today, if you're anything like me, I believe that we need to grow in our richness in our good deeds. That it needs to be above average. It's not just like the person in the community, that the person next to you on this side or this side in our community, that we should be above average, that we should be rich in good deeds. What happens when we're rich and we have extra? What do we tend to do? What happens when I have extra? When I was a graduate from college and I had my 1986 paid off vehicle and no student debt, I went snow skiing. I spent my my money on gas. I, I bought snow skiing passes. I went to Hawaii. I spent 14 hours a day at the beach. That's what I wanted to do. With all my free time, with all my free money, what did I do? When you have extra, you waste it. Maybe you're like that in here today, that you find an extra sum of money, and what you do is like, oh, sweet, here's 200 extra dollars. I'm going to put this towards, and you think of that thing that you were always waiting for, and you just went ahead and bought it. What we tend to do when we have extra time, when we have extra money, is we waste it on ourselves. That's what I tend to do. I believe that's what we tend to do. But he says, command them to do good and to be above average, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So, this is the how-to. This is what we need to do. We need to be generous and willing to share. What we, when we get more wealth, we have more opportunity. When you have more, you have more time discretion you have more financial discretion, that you're able to do what you want to do with your time, with your free time, and you're able to do what you want to do with your extra money. Now, both in this country, the rest of the countries around the world, and in history, we only have a certain number of hours per week. You have the same number of hours as someone who has less discretion, someone who's not rich that we have 160 hours per week. And I made this little pie graph and I added a couple things in there for those of us in here that are Christian. Okay, I added, you know, you spend five hours at church or, you know, quiet times, your time reading the Bible and praying. Uh, maybe you have workout time and you spend time eating. And so I added all those things in there. But even without those things, like if you're just to look at two areas of your life, if you work 60 hours a week, which I don't, I think that's probably a good average or maybe a high average of what you might work in here this week, is you work 60 hours a week, and you sleep eight hours a night, okay? Do you sleep eight hours a night? Yeah, we got a lot of parents in the room. Okay, I get that, okay? But even if we slept eight hours a week, and we work 60 hours a week, okay, that's only 160, 116 hours. That leaves us 52 free hours, now, stay with me, math, ma- people who are not mathematically inclined, because I hate it when people do math problems on stage, okay? They're like this, and then that, and then there's the answer, okay? No, just check this out. If you work a lot and you sleep a lot, okay, if you work a lot and you sleep a lot, you still have like two free days a week. You still have, that's discretionary. You could do laundry. You could go to the grocery store. You could spend time at the park with your kids. But you have two full free days to do what you want with. You can go exercise, When we have extra, most countries in the world do not have this freedom. Most people are working all day, every day. Maybe they get Sunday off. But in the United States of America, we are so entitled to our two days off, our weekends off, our vacation days, our sick paid days, or whatever. We are so entitled in the United States of America. So what I'm sharing with you here today is we have free time, and we should, because we make more, have discretionary funds of what we want to do with them. When you have extra, Paul's telling Timothy, when you have extra, don't waste it on you. Paul tells him to command us who are rich in this age, when you have extra, be willing to share and be generous. When you have extra, don't spend all your extra time and don't spend all your extra money on yourself. Don't spend it on you. And so there is an assumption here in this text. Okay, and I know that we all try to say we we avoid assumptions because, you know, we know where it can get us. Okay? But there's an assumption here in this text that rich people don't share. Rich people are unwilling to share. And you might look at organizations that are huge, that are giving huge sums of money. You might know, have family members or neighbors who give a ton of money. They give huge quantities and piles and piles of wealth. But here's the thing. Let me share with you a story real quick. Back from when, before I had a car, before I had overhead, before I had any expenses in my life, do any of you have one of these on your curb out in front of your house? Who paints these? Who does that? Is there like, a, you know, a service by the, the city who does that? I don't know. But when I was 13, we had to repaint ours because it was really flaking off and whatever reason, we felt the itch to repaint ours. So we repainted it. Well, me and one of my close friends at the time, one of my best friends, Wesley, me and Wes decided that we were going to go around and offer this service to the rest of the neighborhood. <laughs> okay? So I know it's just funny to me that we did this. Okay? So we went around in our neighborhood, and it was awesome. We spent a day, and we each had like 30 bucks at the end of the day. It was awesome. We were around. We were painting people's curves, and it probably was just barely enough to pay for the paint. But we, had a really, we, we took the paint out of Dad's garage, you know. It was a great business. But what happened was we took our little business that we had, our, our enterprise that we had begun, and we took our enterprise. We said, if this works here, imagine if we take it to the rich neighborhood dude, we're going to make cash. Let's go over to the million-dollar homes, start knocking on doors. Guess what we found? Door slammed in our face. It was just, leave, what are you doing? Do you see no soliciting? It was like, we we're like kids trying to make money. It was like, we just got shut down so hard. We left there. We were angry. That was the end of that business. We did not continue. I know now what happened because rich people do not share Rich people give larger sums. They do. Rich people, it's obvious, right? Like right now, I give more than what I gave when I made $900 a month, right? Like I give more now. Rich people, they make more. They give larger sums of money. It's true. They do. But they tend to give smaller percentages. That when I was younger, $10 was a larger percentage than it is as my income increased. And so as income increases, what tends to happen is the percentages go down. The dollars go up, but the percentages tend to go down. And so we're going to look at Jesus here. And this is a case study that we get to see Jesus, and he, and he shows us, he teaches us the bottom line of what I want to tell you in here today. And that's what we're going to get to. Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. For those of you in here who are not Bible followers, you're not, uh, you haven't read the Bible much in your life, um, Jesus really spoke about money quite a bit. Possessions and money. He used them as illustrations all the time. And that's what we're going to see in here right here in Mark 12 and verse 41. Many of us who are churchgoers, you've heard this many, many times. But Jesus watched Jesus was always looking for a takeaway that he could give an example and pull something out, a takeaway for us to see where and how we can grow in our relationship with God. So he's watching people give their offering. Many rich people threw in large amounts. They had large amounts of money to give. Just like today, rich people, they tend to give large sums and they give out of their wealth. They have a ton of money and they give large amounts. Kind of obvious. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So you have this line of people coming in. Jesus is sitting there. You know, he's watching. He's checking people out as they give. He's watching what they give. And this people give tons of money. And then the lady comes by and she just gives two very small copper coins. The amount of money that these copper coins is worth is like six minutes of work for that lady. And she's just like, you know, a day's labor at that time. This was worth about six minutes of that time. It's almost an immeasurable amount. It would be like me dividing the cost of a penny. It's a very, very fractional amount of money. So he sees that happen. These two copper coins go in. And then he calls his disciples. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. That she put this fractional, tiny, immeasurable amount of money in. And he says, this poor person has outgiven all these wealthy people. Remember, we're all rich in here today. And this poor woman who dropped in an insignificant amount of money has given more than we have ever given because he says they have given more than all, all the others. Here's why. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Okay, what percentage is all? percent. So I was making a pie graph, and it was just all blue. And I was like, that's not, that's not like, going to work. I was like, you know, because I was like trying to demonstrate, like, here's how much the rich gave. Here's how much she gave. And it just didn't really show much. It was just like a blue and a green circle. And I was like, that didn't work. Because she put in 100%. Jesus lifts up this woman for an insignificant amount of money, an insin- insignificant amount of dollars. But he lifts her up because she gave a larger percentage. She gave a hundred percent. Here's the thing: poor people always outgive rich people. Rich people should give larger sums. Okay, it's expected, and higher percentages. Higher percentages. That's that's novel. That's new. That's that's wow. Because I make more money right now than when I had just graduated college, I should give a higher percentage. That should be implied that I give a higher percentage. Why? Because I have more discretionary funds. I'm making more money. Why can I not live on less money and be able to give a higher percentage of money? And so my assumption is, There are very few, if any, people in here who have done this already. There are very few. It's just a handful, a dozen or less, that this is novel. This is amazing. This is a concept that can change the world and it gives us an insight into God's heart. God's heart is percentages trump dollars, percent trumps dollars. And so if you've, if you've lost, you know, if you're like, I'm a high school student, I don't make any money, I'm a college student, I have $30,000 of debt, you're like, I don't get it, like, I, I don't know how to apply this, I don't know where you're going with this, percentages always trump dollars. That God looks at the percentages that we're giving, not the zeros that we're giving. God looks at percentages, not dollars. And if you don't remember anything else in here today, or you've been emailing, because I'm a student pastor talking about money, okay, just, just click into me with me for one second and tweet this, okay? God looks at percentages, not dollars. That's the one truth that you can walk away here with today. That God in heaven, the almighty God who created the almighty dollar, that he does not look at the zeros that you're giving, but he looks at the percentages that you're giving. God looks at percentages, not dollar. So what I want to ask you to do is, We have a number of people in here who have gotten uh, engaged this year. Anybody in here get engaged this year in the last 12 months? All right, I got one in the back, two, okay, three, four. All right, we got at least four. I know of another one who's not here, five. So if you guys want to get engaged, keep coming to church if you're single, okay? And it's great being able to be with people in their walk of life at that time. And I get to talk to them. They're like, you know, about their upcoming marriage. You know, and I'm like, I've been married eight years, and I feel like I know nothing, and every year I'm learning more than I learned the year before. It's like, dude, I'm learning all over again this year. So I've been married eight years, but when you sit down with someone who's engaged to be married, you're like, dude, you got so much to learn. You're like, man, you got a long way to go. What I want to tell someone in in marriage counseling or in pre-marriage counseling is you need to pre-decide. Because God looks at percentages and not dollars, you need to pre-decide and not do it upon a spontaneous feeling that you get or a good month at your work, but you need to pre-decide the percentage that you're going to be giving in your marriage, and you need to pre-decide now. That's how we want to keep our hope from migrating from the almighty God to the almighty dollar, and we in the middle of our lives want to put it back in God, then you need to make a decision in here today that you're going to pre-decide the percentage of money that you are going to give. I don't, even if, if you work at Starbucks, if you're in debt because of college funds, if you're a high school student, you don't even work, you don't even, you don't know what a dollar value is. It's okay. You need to predecide how much money you're going to give to God in advance pre-decide how much you're going to be giving. And then when you pre-decide what organizations, because you might in here today not be a member here, and you're like, okay, he's just trying to get us to give more money here. Look, pre-decide how much and which organizations you're going to give to. Now, I work for the church here. I'd really like if it was to this organization. Let's be honest, right? Okay? But... I believe that there are many organizations out there like Hope Worldwide and other nonprofit organizations that are serving this world, that are doing amazing things, that are providing water, disaster relief, shoes for kids. There's just so much out there that's going on. Predecide the organizations that you're going to give to and predecide the percentages that you're going to be giving. Predecide. Don't make it spontaneous. Because spontaneous generosity or service is secondary. It's secondary. If you decide spontaneously to give to an organization because uh, they're providing disaster relief for a hurricane or earthquake, okay, that's generosity, it's amazing, it's spontaneous, it's great, but it's not intentional. And if you don't have the funds at that moment and you would like to give, you can't. So spontaneous generosity and service is not what makes the world go round. This does not make nonprofits thrive and and continue to meet needs in the world. Today, if people woke up this morning, because we have 100 volunteers at least running our church services here on Sundays. If people woke up this morning and they were like, "Ah, dude, I don't feel like going early to help the kids. I don't feel like going early to set up. I don't feel like going to play music. This would not be happening. Right now, I could not be here without the help of volunteers this morning. It wasn't spontaneous that people came here and served this morning. But in the same way, kids who are receiving fresh water in Central America, it's not a spontaneous thing. It's intentional, it's consistent, and it was decided in advance. Spontaneous generosity is not what makes this world go around although it's an amazing thing and we love to see generosity poured out spontaneously, we need to be intentional givers because God looks at the percentages. So don't get caught up in the dollars. Don't get get caught up in being rich and wasting your wealth on yourself. Because you know what? Even those of us who are givers here in the room today, who we've already started to give, we even give percentages already. Many of us are giving percentage. We're percentage givers I know one thing is that Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. That I know that my heart can look at my year-end giving statement from the church and I could find comfort in that. Instead of looking at the percentages, I could tend to look at the zeros. My heart is deceitful above all things. And I could tend to put my strength, my security in the things that I have instead of the one who provided those things, and that is God. So how much? How much do you need to give? I don't know. I'm not telling you how much to give. I want you to start with a percentage. 10% is a ballpark figure that we base from the Old Testament, and we call this tithing. Now, we do that here in the church, but I believe that many of us are capable of exceeding 10%. Some of us in here today, if you're just starting out, maybe you need to start out at 3% or 5%. But what I want you to do is to pick a percentage, make it a priority. That means that you give it first. And then from there, it should be progressive. It should continue to increase over time. So pick a percentage, make it a priority, and then let it continue to progress from there. So flipping back to that. 1 Timothy 6 again so that you guys remember what he said to Timothy command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment you know God has always provided for me God I I've just gotten lucky I'm not presenting to you today because, like, of my intellect, my understanding. I'm presenting to you today as one who has been very lucky in my life. God has given me a good hand of cards. I've gotten—I was born into a great family. My wife was born into a great family. We've been put in a great church community. That I have gotten lucky. It's not because of me. It's God who richly provides us. God has allowed you to be born or to be currently in the United States of America sitting in this seat here today that you've been blessed to be here. You've been blessed with opportunities that people around the world would die for. They would die for these opportunities. And that's the seats that we're sitting in. That's the shoes we fill. And God is watching us as we walk up to give our offering. And he's not looking at the zeros, but he's looking at the heart. He's looking at the percentages. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Imagine, imagine if we poured ourselves into this concept. If we here just in this room, and then from here other churches and churches across America and across the world started to give Larger and larger percentages of their income. If we just in this room gave a percentage of our income, how many needs would be met? Imagine how many, just here in this church, in this organization, if we were to have everybody do that, what it would do to this organization. Interns would be being hired. Buildings purchased. Kids kingdom wings renovated. The mission of Christ being done. And in the other organizations that we give to, imagine if we all gave and across the world we started to give, how much food would be provided, how much water would be provided, clothing, shelter, people's needs being met across the world. And it all starts with the decision that we pre-decide to give percentages. So the truth that I have to present to you is God looks at percentages, not dollars. Percentages not dollars. And that truth, what we need to do with that is we need to pre-decide to give away a percentage of our money. And so, despite the fact that I am a student minister presenting to you on finances and money, and many of you in here are already generous, you're wise money managers, some of you. Some of you in here are experts in finance and accounting. I need your help. In many ways. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation. It's a very difficult conversation to have. Oftentimes, we feel shamed. It's a very, it's a, it's a subject that we don't really want to approach. But I want to encourage you to talk to somebody in here today. Talk to somebody in here today about your income, your financial situation, how much you're giving, and how percentage giving is what you see God asking you to do here today. Now, you might disagree with that. You might feel differently here today. You might feel the pressures you're feeling because of student debt, ex-marriages. I don't know. I don't know your situation. Everybody in here is in a different situation. But what I do know is Jesus watched, and he saw that poor widow put it in. She gave all that she had to live on, and he lifted her up. He said she gave more. So let's not be deceived in here today. Let's not be deceived Let's give out of our abundance, out of our wealth. Let's meet needs in this community and across the world by being percentage givers. And then my end hope is that we would really attain and be close to our God, that our hope would go towards God and not in riches, that we would put our trust in the middle of our lives right now in our God instead of our riches and the things that he provides So right now I'm going to go ahead and say a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for all of you. I'm going to pray for myself. And I pray that you've been blessed from this information and from your experience here today. And you guys will be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this information. Thank you, Father, for uh, just this age-old passage of Scripture that I've seen so many times and seen the two copper coins given so many times in Scripture. And, Father, I pray that I can be like her. I pray that I can rise to this occasion. Father, soften my heart, soften our hearts. Father, whatever financial burdens are existing in this room, health issues, uh, just financial market crashes and difficult job situations, Father, many of us are experiencing anxiety and pressure as it comes to money. I really pray that today, Father, we want to open our hands before you. We want to lay them out before you. And God, we want to let go of the things that we have. We want to let them go. We pray that, with the abundance that you've given us, that we would be able to turn around and give to others and meet needs in this society. Father, help us to continue to give when we see disaster or spontaneous things that happen that we can give. Help us be able to be generous in those situations, but help us to predecide a percentage and just to have the character and integrity to continue to give, Father, because we want our hearts to be right before you. God, you are the giver Thank you for giving to us. We pray that you continue. Bless this audience of hearers, God. Be with them as they take this information and help them to apply it to their lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.